Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Old Testament divides into four major sections. We have, read it with me, the law, history, poetry, and prophecy. What are the four major sections of the Old Testament? The law, very good. And the law books are Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. The history books are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, you can read them with me if you want to. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those are the history books. And then the poetry books are Job, Proverbs, Psalm, and Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. The prophetic books divide into two major sections. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, can you see that? The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, which are the prophetic books. And the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So the prophetic books divide into two major sections. There are five major prophets and there are 12 minor prophets. Nehemiah is in the historical section of the Old Testament. Now remember I told you last time that Nehemiah is a great story and a great book with many great lessons. Lessons on leadership. Lessons on revival. Lessons on how to pray about your problems. Lessons on setting God-given goals. Lessons on becoming a person of vision. It's a great book on how to work in the ministry in the face of the enemy. It's a great book on humbling yourself before God. Nehemiah is just a great book. Now, if you were with us the last time or last week, you remember that it's November or December. And Nehemiah is walking down the hall in the citadel. And there are two guys, Hanani and Hekeliah. Hanani means the grace of God. And Hekeliah means the Lord gives light. And so these two guys are walking down the hall. They just returned from Jerusalem, which is approximately 90 or 900 miles, pardon me, uh, from Babylon. And uh, Nehemiah asked them, he said, how are things going in Jerusalem uh, with the people and with the, with, 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 with the city? 
And in verse 4, it tells us that they said not very good. The people of God are in great. I want you to look at verse 4 in chapter 1. The people of God are in great distress, and the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and the gates are burned. And because you are all good listeners from the last time, I know that you understand uh, this was very distressing news for Nehemiah because the walls are important in the ancient world. If you weren't here, you write this down. This is important. Walls represent separation, salvation, and protection. Walls represent separation, salvation, and protection. And an unwalled city was open and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So Nehemiah hears the walls are torn down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And I want you to notice, as we talked about the last time, he didn't criticize he agonized. His heart was broken because his brothers were broken. Are you listening? His soul was vexed because the people were vulnerable. So the people are in great distress. The walls are torn down and the gates are burned. And God has a problem. As if God could have a problem. When God has a problem, you know what God does? When God has a problem, God goes looking for a man. And he finds Nehemiah with a heart that says, here am I, send me. Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, but yet he had a heart to be sent by God. Three things I want to discuss with you tonight and the remainder of our time together in this chapter as to why God chose Nehemiah and made him a builder. Write this down. Number one, Nehemiah was a man of burden. Number two, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And finally, Nehemiah was a man of action. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Nehemiah was a man of burden. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And Nehemiah was a man of action. And it's for those three reasons that God chose him, called him, and used him. I've titled this sermon, Nehemiah the Cupbearer. It's a great story. It's not so long to read, so let's just read chapter 1 again. How about that? Nehemiah chapter 1, we pick up in verse 1. Saints, if you're looking at verse 1, say amen. amen. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chisluv in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Note that. And I asked them. Underline that. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also, what saints, broken down and its gates are what? Burned with fire. And so it was, that's the core of the text. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting, <clears throat> pardon me, and I was praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven. Now here's Nehemiah's prayer in verse 5. You want to write that in your margin? Nehemiah's prayer. One of 12 prayers in this book. 
And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, circle this, we have sinned against you. Both my fathers and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful or unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, these are your servants and your people, God, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to my prayer, to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Saying, stop right there. Give me your attention. The Jewish people were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And the reason they were in captivity for 70 years was twofold. Uh, number one is because they rebelled against God. They hardened their hearts and they found themselves in idol worship. Are you listening? They found themselves in idol worship. The second reason they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years was because they had a debt that they owed God uh, for the 490 years in the promised land that they didn't observe the seven year Sabbath rest. So God allowed them to go into 70 years of captivity. Seven times 70 is 490 years. It's about this time that Jeremiah, watch this, you're going to love it. It's about this time that Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10 and 11 come in. While the people were in captivity, God said, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. It's in this context that God gave them that hope. Now, we like to quote that verse. I love that verse. Where my people at? I love that verse. But God gave them that verse, and I think we ought to understand at least the context of the verse. God gave them that verse when they were in Babylonian captivity to give them comfort, to give them hope, and to tell them that I haven't forgotten about you. Although I allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to take you into Babylonian captivity. I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of good and they're not evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. 
Well, that hope comes at the hands of King Cyrus. It was 537 BC. You could write that down. And King Cyrus gave a decree that every Jew was allowed to go back to their homeland. Well, only 50,000 went back to their homeland of the two to three million that went into captivity. Only 50,000 left. Hmm. And uh, I told you that there were three deportations uh, in taking the Jews into captivity. Remember that? Well, there were also three departures of the Jewish people from Babylon to Jerusalem, to their homeland. The first uh, group to leave and head home was led by Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, his name means offspring of Babylon. You wonder why? Why does his name mean offspring of Babylon? Anybody know? Just go ahead and yell it out. Because he was born there. Zerubbabel means offspring of Babylon. Zerubbabel was a political leader of the tribe of Judah. Haggai and Zechariah came with him in the first group back to the homeland. And God used Zerubbabel. If you want to write down anything, write this down. God used Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple. Uh, it would be worthless to have a temple and no worship. So approximately 60 years after the completion of the temple, Ezra, who was a priest and a scribe, led the second group back to Jerusalem. Ezra's mission and ministry was to instruct the people in the ways of God, in the ways of worship. The people have gotten off track from worshiping God because they were in Babylonian captivity and they were worshiping false gods. And Ezra's ministry was to teach the people to worship. Because contrary to popular church culture, saints, listen, there is an acceptable way to worship God. And there's an unacceptable way to worship God. They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So God used Ezra to rebuild the people. So we have a temple and now we have worship. But the walls are still torn down, which makes them vulnerable. So the third and final contingency going back is 445 B.C. This group is led by Nehemiah, and he's coming back to rebuild the walls. God used Zechariah to build the temple, Ezra to rebuild the people, Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. Listen, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, you need to know those three things. God used Zechariah to rebuild the temple, Ezra, the people, Nehemiah, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The book divides itself nicely into two sections. Chapters 1 through 6 are the reconstructing of the walls. Chapters 7 through 13, the reconstructing of the people. Very easy. Now, why did God choose Nehemiah? Number one, I told you, Nehemiah was a man of burden. Did you get that? As soon as Nehemiah had heard the condition of the people and the condition of the city of God, the Bible says, you know, saints, it's good to just read the Bible and read it slow. Notice in verse four, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down. In other words, the words that he heard affected his soul. 
in such a profound way that he couldn't even stand up. The news was so overwhelming. It was emotional overload. He wept and he was burdened. And can I tell you something? When God wants to use a man or a woman, it will always start with a burden. Nehemiah sees these men, maybe in the hall of the citadel, and it was Nehemiah who asked how things are going. They didn't approach Nehemiah and say, let me tell you what's going on in Jerusalem. Nehemiah cared, and he was burdened, and he asked about his people. Now, here's ministry 101. If you want God to use you, you got to care. You got to care. And let me just kind of throw this in the mix. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because some of us know so much about the Bible, we can quote the scripture, but if you really know your Bible, then why don't you care enough to serve and to build people up? Because the truth be told, the walls are broken down in the church. Somebody say amen. And the gates are burned in the church. You could say amen right there too. And people are broken and people are hurting in the church and we need to care. and We need to seek to build, build people up. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do in Galatians chapter six, verse one? I have that for you on the screen. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual do what saints restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You who are spiritual Restore such a one, not reveal such a one. Brother, did you hear about what happened? We got to pray. Not remind such a one, not rebuke such a one, but restore such a one. This word restore means in the Greek language, if you've been here at Calvary, you know this. This word restore means to mend broken bones. We should be spiritual doctors mending broken bones. You know, and that's one thing I, I love about the ministry of one step here at Calvary Chapel. We have a recovery ministry here. And uh, Kevin, are you, are you here somewhere? Where are you at, Kevin? What you doing sitting over there when you normally sit over here? <laughs> you got me looking over here for you and you're over there. Stand up and let us say hi to you. Y'all say hi to Kevin. Some of y'all didn't speak. <laughs> Kevin, let's try it again. They didn't hear me. Say hi to Kevin. <laughs> and Kevin O'Brien oversees our ministry of One Step, and it's a recovery ministry, and and, and, you know, it, it, you know, Kevin, I was thinking about this as I was writing. I was thinking about you and I was thinking about the ministry and I was thinking, you know, the Bible says restore such a one. And and in the Greek word means, you know, the mend the broken bones. And I thought of the ministry of one step and I thought, you know, the ministry of one step is a ministry of menders. You. And people who serve with you. You guys are menders. You ever thought of that? You're menders. Because people are broken. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock. See, I'm giving you a good plug right now. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock. You can thank me later or give me $10. And uh, go buy me a salad. Yeah, you're menders. You guys are mending people. And 
And you know what? Interesting enough, too, some of the people who come to that ministry do not attend Calvary Chapel. So it's not about our church. It's not about us four no more. We can't be a church like that. Where it's about us four no more. You know, we got ministries for us. What about ministry to the world? Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. What about that? And I think it's a wonderful thing. Mending broken bones, not rebuking, but restoring, not trying to sin sniff, not trying to be gospel gestapos, not trying to be God's little God squad running around with your sinometer ready to discover and detect every wrongdoing and sin in the church. No, you're to be mender of broken bones instead of talking about what the church is not doing. Why not roll up your sleeves and hack up your pants and get down on your knees and weep for the church and pray for the church? While, and while you're down there, listen, ask the Lord, what can you do to restore? I'm going to wait while you clap your hands there. And while you're down there, ask God what you can do. To restore the broken walls and the lives of people right around you. Nehemiah cared and he asked how things were going. He had a burden. I don't know why I want to read this, but I want to read this. I love this. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was one of the greatest personalities of the 18th century. And late on a hot July night in 1865, he burst into his home. He had just been walking through some of the poorest streets of London, looking at the horror of the Victorian era. And he cried out to his wife. He said, Catherine, darling, I have found my destiny. He had a burden. God begins with a burden. Serving God and being used by God starts with a burden. Number two, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Not only was he burdened, and a burden was on Nehemiah's heart, but it was, he was also a man of prayer. Nehemiah put that burden into the articulation of the language of heaven. That's just a fancy way of saying he prayed. The articulation of the language of heaven. Y'all like that? Write it down. I'm going to tweet that. The articulation of the language of heaven. In other words, he prayed. And I love that about Nehemiah because he was a man of prayer. You'll see that throughout the book as we move through the book. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, sometimes short prayers, yet praying. I think of Chuck Smith who said, you, you can't do much until you've prayed, but there's nothing you can't do after you've prayed. Don't you love that? I love that. And let me tell you two things that are essential. Essential. You can't do without for leadership. Number one, prayer. And number two, vision. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but Nehemiah was also a man of vision. When God is going to do something, he starts with a vision. The book of Nehemiah is a book of vision. Proverbs 29, 18, without vision, the people, what saints perish, you know that vision provides the push through the problem. Vision provides the energy for the effort. Without vision, our passion leaks and our production falls and people scatter. So if you're going to be a leader, you need vision and you need prayer. It's there. You have a burden. First, you've got a burden. And then you've got vision. And then there's a time of prayer preparation. 
as God saw the need in heaven. But little would be done until the right man also felt the need on earth. Then the man sees the need in vision and then the man puts the need to prayer. And many believe that Nehemiah prayed for four months. Now, in verses five through ten, we read Nehemiah's prayer. And I told you that it's the first of 12 prayers recorded in Nehemiah. And in this prayer, Nehemiah confesses his sin. He doesn't begin his prayer with the people have sinned. He doesn't confess someone else's sin. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive them for they have sinned. He says, Lord, did y'all get that? We have sinned. You see, a truly great leader will say, Lord, we have sinned. A truly great leader will identify himself with his brothers and sisters, not just in their victories, but also in their setbacks. Not just in their glories, but also in their difficulties and their problems. Notice in verse 6 in your Bibles, both my father's house and I have sinned. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.